everyone. Welcome to our very first episode of When Records Ruled, the podcast where we share our love of rock music and pop culture from the 70s and 80s and take a few B-side tracks down memory lane. I also have a remember when question for the guys coming up at the end of the episode. So grab those liner notes and pop in a soft chunk of bubble yum bubble gum because it's time to hit the play button. I'm your host, David Norris, and joining me on this flashback musical road trip are my good friends, Brian Strom and Lance Schwartz. How are you guys doing? Ah, uh, I am ready to go. This is going to be fun. Yes. Ready to rock it. Lance? Doing great, Dave, but instead of the bubble yum, I'm going to have a Coors Banquet beer. Oh, Whoa. That's, that's, not, not, uh, that's not gum. No, that's not. <laughs> well, I am super excited because we've been working on this podcast behind the scenes for a while. And now we're actually here for our very first episode. So when we were brainstorming different ideas for the podcast, one that was mentioned was talking about the first album we ever bought. So our very first, our first few episodes will revolve around that idea. Uh, so in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the album Lance purchased as a young stud, Boston's self-titled debut, and some related news that was happening around the time of the album's release as well. Before we get into our discussion, though, we need a little background. So Lance is going to give us the musical framework with some album details. Lance. Yeah, so Boston's first album, entitled Boston, as you mentioned, was released in the bicentennial year, August 25th, 1976. Still ranks as one of the best-selling debut albums in U.S. history with over 17 million copies sold. That's a lot of copies. Album spawned three hit singles, More Than a Feeling, Long Time, and Peace of Mind, all of which were on the charts. Uh, the album peaked at number three on the Billboard Top 200. Number three. Isn't almost, that crazy? I, I almost selling, thought it would have gone to yeah, number one. Selling that many copies and no, it, only, number only number three. But here's the reason why, I think. Yeah. Stayed on the charts for 132 weeks. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking, what's two that, and a half two years? and a half years? Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, another interesting fact, this meteoric rise that Boston uh, experienced based on this top-selling album made them the first band in history to make their New York City debut at Madison Square Garden. So mm. no CBGB or, you know, wow. little, little uh, Apollo Theater. So it was right to the top. That right is to, crazy. Yeah. So I, that, oh, I hope sets the frame for what we're going to be talking about. They were shooting right out of the gates there. No kidding. Awesome. Uh, thanks for those details. Uh, so, Brian, so what was going on about the time when this album was released? So the, the week of August 25th, 1976, some of the top bands at the time were ABBA, Queen, Elton John, the Bee Gees, Chicago, Rod Stewart. Uh, top songs. Uh, number three of this week was Let Him In by Wings. Wow. You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. And number one was Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D. All good stuff. Yeah. Uh, top TV shows of the time. Emergency. <laughs> Bob yeah. Newhart Show. Yes. And the spinoff from Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. Oh, yeah. Top movies, King Kong. Wow. The Omen. Never saw that one. Silent movie. Silent movie, I have no idea what that was. It's, it's called Silent Movie? Silent movie. It was a comedy. Wow. But anyway. Charlie um, Chaplin. And then just a few of the top toys of the time. G.I. Joe. Yes. With the Kung Fu grip. There you go. <laughs> Pogo sticks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and the evil Knievel stunt bike. 
Oh, wonderful. Quick I story about the Evil Keen Evil stunt bike. There is a, I think it's a TikTok channel. Yeah. They do nothing but stunts. Yes. Yep. And it is it's so awesome. awesome to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I had just, one of those. Oh, really? Yeah. The little Crank zip. It, yep. Hit the button. Boom, there oh. it goes. I still have, uh, I believe it's at my folks in the basement with all my other toys from when I was a kid. But I have an emergency actual what do you want to call it? Like Tonka toy sort oh, of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Like wow. the, like an ambulance or something? Yeah. You remember their their squad was uh, like a modified pickup. Yeah. And you yep. know, they have a oh, place yeah. for a ladder in the back and uh, toolboxes on the side. That's right. Yep. Here. And uh, funny fact, yeah, Emergency is now running on Cozy TV. And sometimes when I go home for lunch, I'll... See what the emergency of the day was? My family thinks I'm nuts, but Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, that's kind of one of those formulaic shows, wasn't it? I mean, it's like the same kind of, whoops, going through. Yep. Yeah. Like the A-team. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. You want the the music connection to that show too? Sure. Does it relate to Boston? If you segue to Boston, that would be fantastic. That would be really (laughs) a a good thing, but I'm not going to do that. The, one of the doctors on the show, his name is, in real life, Bobby Troop, I forget what his stage name was on the show, but he wrote the song Route 66. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he's, he's on the show. He's on the show. He's one, he's an actor on the show. Wow. Hmm. So for what that's worth, look cool. it up later. Yeah. The fun facts we hear. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's dig into this album. Purchasing so I want to hear about you purchasing this album as a young stud yeah back I, in the day i might not even been old enough to be a stud at that point but <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know what age that happens but we'll call you a stud anyway so that was 1976 so i was 11 years old not quite actually and you had enough money I, I did have enough money probably from my uh post shopper paper route oh oh nice the one where i got bit by a little dog delivering papers but that's for another day every day no. Not every day, no. Um, <laughs> Mine was a German Shepherd, but anyway. Yeah. I don't know what a little nippy dog, but never had a paper route. <laughs> so we had a, a neighborhood record store. Back back in those days, there were a lot of record stores. I think, yeah. So I grew up in Bloomington. There were four record stores, probably. But the closest one to our house was a place called Harpo's Records and Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> in a post apostrophe in in apostrophe yeah. stuff yeah so uh, i didn't buy any of the stuff but i did buy records and um wink wink they had a huge <laughs> they had a huge used section and then equally as big new section and this boston album was the first new record actually it was the first record i bought yeah but it was brand new um fun day got on my bike Rode home hoping I wouldn't wipe out and crack the record. Yep. Because you're riding with one hand now. I'm riding with yes, one hand. Yes, you are. Now. Yep. But, uh, Tucked under see. your arm. Yep, exactly. Paper sack? Might have been. That that detail has escaped me. Okay. But got home and played it on, boy, what did I have? Probably a BSR turntable. Do you remember BSR turntables? I don't. Automatic. You know, you just press the button oh, yeah. and it would drop the needle. You could stack yeah. up to oh, four. The, oh, Yeah. Yeah. The ones that dropped them. Yeah. Yep. Like we exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. My parents had one of those. Yes. So that was the beginning of lots and lots of albums that I had and didn't have. And now I have again. 
Did you buy this when it came out? 5th, 1976. That is a great question. Probably not, Brian. I bet I brought it, bought it the next spring. Okay. Yep. So after you got probably heard a lot of, a yeah. lot of it on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm sure it was the next spring. Okay. I might have purchased ELO out of the blue at the same time, too. Ooh. She came up with two I, albums. But I'm not totally sure about that. <laughs> I remember buying out of the blue there as well. But I yeah, I would say it must have been like May okay. of seventy seven. Yeah. Probably. So actually I was twelve. It'd be interesting to find out how much that cost. I want yeah, time. I want to say it was probably about seven bucks. I, re- I remember records being on sale. Well, this this would have been the early eighties now for usually five ninety nine. Yeah. That was the sale price. Regular yeah. price was seven ninety nine. Yeah, this this eight, was eight fifty one with tax. I remember that. Oh exactly. wow, really? Yeah, because that, that's how much you needed to save up for. Yeah, in, in today's, uh, you know, if, if it was California these days, it would be ten fifty one probably. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fifty one cents in tax is nothing. Yep. Wow, that's on the seven ninety nine one, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Wow. The cover on this, I think, was. You know, it's become so iconic. Lance is wearing a shirt right now with the cover on it. I am, yeah. Or from the cover. So the cover, I was doing a little research. Uh, and now, I, in my notes here, I cannot find the name of the guy. It is Roger Heisman is the illustrator, designed by Paula Scher. So it, it looked like he hadn't done a whole lot of other albums, but he's done a lot of illustrations and... Um, Super Bowl logos. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, very diverse and, and a talented illustrator. And then, like we said, he didn't even do the next one. So. Right. No. Yeah. Which is interesting. It is totally iconic. And every Boston concert teacher oh, yeah. has the spaceship. Yeah. But I thought was what was super impressive. And, you know, a lot of the albums that kind of had a similar look to them, this is before the days of... Photoshop and Illustrator, these things were just being hand done yep. yeah. with, you know, paint markers, Painting, airbrush. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how, how painstaking the process was probably for doing that and how quick and easy it is to apply a few filters to get that now. Right. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, non-destructive. I mean, you can We go, don't like it. Why don't you yeah. redo this and this and this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me go make another painting. Yeah. One note I, ca- I came across from the designer, Paula Scherer who designed the whole thing, didn't illustrate it. Um, In an article from 2015, she said, it was and still is, in my opinion, a mediocre piece of work. (laughs) I think she's being hard on herself because maybe at the time, I don't know, look, as as an artist myself, looking back on previous designs 10, 15, 20 years ago, you just, you cringe. Well, you're looking at it and you're looking at all the things you would have done different. Yeah. Would have done this. Well, and just styles at the time. And I'm sure she does that too. It's like, this is the style of the time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Moving on. So give us a little background on it. Yeah. So um, Tom Scholz, like I said, he was he was at MIT as a student and started writing some of these tunes. This was the late 60s. He was talking about uh, the organ part. Well, basically the whole foreplay song, and he was pounding it out on a piano on the fourth floor of an apartment building. He didn't realize he was pounding so hard that he said to himself, it's no wonder those girls never talked to me from the floor below. They acted <laughs> like they hated me. I was up all night, you know, writing sure. these songs. 
So um, anyway, he got through MIT and got a job with Polaroid. I think everybody knows the mm -hmm. story, but you know, he had what would be considered a very good job as an engineer at Polaroid and um, was, was still curious about the possibility of music. So he'd go home in the evenings to his little basement apartment slash studio. And that's how the album was born. Um, he recorded and uh, what's the process of using tapes, you know, over tapes? Is that overdubbing or yeah. something like that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Did all that. Um, learned all of that. He said, I learned how tape recording worked and basically became his own studio engineer. And in some ways was probably better than <laughs> studio right. engineers, you know, had professional studios. So he found couple of guys the, the the two track or the two instruments the voice brad delp and the drums were the the two that he did not do himself because tom can't sing very well i don't know if you guys have heard him so a guy named jim mess Mestea, i think i don't know exactly how to pronounce that played drums and then brad delp brad was connected to and this is a little bit later but to barry goudreau who was the eventual second guitarist mm -hmm. lead guitarist Barry and Brad were friends before Brad even knew Tom Scholz. So anyway, we'll get in later into the quote unquote band. Yep. But uh, that's, that's how it all came to be. And, you know, he again recorded the whole thing in his basement and uh, tried to sell the album to, you know, he said he shopped it to, I don't know, dozens of record labels and got lots of rejects. And my guess is that was over years. I think it was, Brian. Yeah. 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 Because he had a lot of that stuff written. And if you do some deep research, you can find a lot of the demo tracks online. Oh, that'd be cool. On websites. Oh, that would be cool. Yep. And there's like Mother's Milk demo tracks. And oh, really? Yeah. It's really, <laughs> really cool. And how, see how different they are? Probably not very. Not very. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And that's not surprising though. Yeah. yeah. Shoals, right. I'm sure you like, okay, I perfected the song. He found what he liked. And yep. Yep. Exactly. And it's staying the way it is. So he finally had a bite with, uh, now I forget the label. I'm going to have to do this. It was Epic. Oh, unless unless it's something different. I know the first one was on Epic, right? Yeah, it was Epic. They didn't really believe that a guy could do this in his basement and have the quality they that they had. And I think they felt like, this is just me hypothesizing. They felt like we needed to hire an engineer so we could charge him, you know, the studio fee and engineer fee and all of that. Uh, the guy that eventually ended up getting co-producing credits, John Boylan, came to visit Scholes at his apartment slash studio. <laughs> and he was in on it. He thought it was a great project. Yeah. And he said on the way out the door, tell you what, why don't you just come to LA? We'll just use your stuff, but we'll slightly improve Modify this. Yeah. And I'll get, and he said, and I'll get 50% production credit. Ooh, Ooh wow. And I'm sure that went over well. Yeah. Scholes was, you know, he first heard, we, we will get the deal done. Yeah. And he was about ready to say yes. And then that's when Boylan said, and I'll get 50% credit. And the rest is history. They they finally duped the, we were talking about this earlier. They yeah. duped the studio by sending 
four of the five guys out to uh, L.A. to record while Tom actually stayed back and continued to tinker. <laughs> and they told him, yeah, we recorded it here. And this Boylan was in on it. And, yeah. and that's how he eventually did get credit for production because nobody else was going to allow Tom to have that full um, control over the album. But as it turned out, obviously. I can't imagine he um, contributed too much to it. Right. No. And and if you listen to the demos, yeah, he didn't contribute yeah. much at all. The demos are, as you said, Dave, kind of almost dead on for the actual album. Yeah, that's that's what I read. It was basically just a virtual copy. Yeah, higher in recording basically because he had a chance to do it over and probably perfect it even more <laughs> on the Tom Schultz scale. More perfecter. Yes, yep. exactly. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. One of the things that I uh, came across describing that, though, was that the entire operation has been described as one of the most complex corporate capers in the history of the music business. Because I yeah, imagine yeah. there's no way you could get away with that today. No. You know, they're, they're, very, they're very much more hands-on, probably, and by probably, like, regular check-ins and see how right. things are going because they want stuff turned around that much faster. And I think being that it was the, the first record... They really didn't know much about them. They really didn't have need to follow up with what was happening. You know, yeah. maybe tell us in a couple months where you're at. And they didn't have anybody checking in on them. And mm -hmm. kind of off the radar to get away with it. Yeah. Whereas probably by the second album, oh, now they got their fingers in everything or they're really yeah. trying to. Yep. This Boylan must have been a trusted guy at, at Epic as well. Mm. And he was, like I said, he was kind of in on it. So he... Must have known even how to after talk to he the tried right to get fifty percent. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. <laughs> Maybe Weasel. he punched him, and then yeah. they got the number down, and then then everything was good. Tom punched <laughs> him. He's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you just yeah. said. Did you say ten? Yeah, <laughs> five. You're probably a little bit desperate at that time too, if you've been shopping this record for so long, and you finally oh, sure. have somebody. Yeah. Well, you think it'd be easy to say fifty? Well, that's a lot, but. Yeah, okay. This may be my only shot. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the, the single, More Than a Feeling, came out, you know, right after the album was released. It was getting some airplay, but Tom was still working at Polaroid, and he'd have coworkers come in and say, hey, your song's on the radio. He said, <laughs> every time I got there, I'd never heard it. It was usually, you know, the outtake or, yeah. or end of the, the track. And that's about when they were getting some offers to go on the road to do some opening slots okay. for some big bands. And he told his boss at Polaroid, I'd like to take a leave of absence. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. So he, exactly. He's, he always, he's very, um, he's a very humble guy who really didn't think the music was that great. And maybe that's from the five years of mm -hmm. getting nose. Right. And, even when the, the song was climbing the charts and they opened these tours, he kept working as much as he possibly could. But after about three years and then they got an opening slot, he finally said, yeah, it's, it's probably time. This, this seems to be working out. Uh, I, I heard another story about one of it, like it was boss or something. He, he was asking him, you know, you really want to do this music thing? You know, that's kind of a one in a million shot. <laughs> and that third year when they got the opening slot and he said, I was packing up my stuff and leaving Polaroid, the boss came up and said, one in a million. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah. I did hear something or read something about too, when uh, 
he knew he was probably going to be leaving Polaroid. He said that was a long two weeks. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which indicates to me like, and pretty honorable guy. Turned in his two week turning notice. Turning his two week notice instead of just saying. I'm out of here. Peace out. I mean. For a guy that, was, that is now worth a hundred million bucks. Yeah. yeah. Or more. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I saw. Oh, really? What, what's wow. he worth? <laughs> wow. Website. Yeah. yeah. We want to get into talking about some individual tracks. First single was, was more than a feeling, more you said? More than a feeling. Yeah. yeah. I think that really encapsulates the whole Boston sound in that, that one song. That was exactly my note here. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's got every element of Boston in that song, the whole vibe, I think. And I don't know if there's other bands that were... I know other bands were doing, like, the acoustic thing and then the heavier guitars, but I think the whole melodic rock thing kind of started then. I think you would have had the Eagles and stuff, but their acoustic electric was a little more countryish, mm-hmm. and you know maybe the Dewey Brothers doing some of that. But I think um, they kind of perfected that. They he perfected that sound. I I totally agree. I I can't think of anybody else. Maybe Queen, but that was a different kind of right. Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't have that same, you know, mixing those two guitar sounds and just that fullness and the and layers. It was, the, layers. the layers, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. However, many, yeah, yeah. I can't Much even. studio time. Yeah, but it was heavier than anything else, like the Eagles and like right, Queen. Totally. I mean, Queen had a pretty heavy sounding guitar, but it was just it was just one person. Yeah, it wasn't multiple layers of guitar and then a solo over top of those other two guitars or three guitars or however many he was mixing in there. Yeah, they were pretty good at layering vocals though. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Boston was too. But I think you hit on something that the twin lead guitars, and there's been other bands over the years that have done Mm -hmm, that, you know, like Skinner, Almond Brothers. Almond Brothers. I would say Night Ranger. Yeah. You know, not nearly. It's later. It's later. Not nearly as big as these bands, but um, but the the twin leads really. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's a unique thing to Boston. And the it, song really takes you on a journey. It yeah. Does. It, that slow kind of intro and then it kicks in and then, then it kicks out of the solo and drops back into that little acoustic part and just it's, and then it kind of builds back up. It's pretty, pretty cool song. I've probably played this album more than any other album I've ever owned mm. or streamed it's one of those that evokes a lot of memories because it was the first album, but you guys know how it is with bands. They, yeah. You hear a song and it brings you back to, oh, that, yeah. you know, yep. and that's true of anybody that yeah. loves music. And this album does it more than anything for me. Um, and, and I was going to say another funny, well, you can go on. If no, go ahead. About, I was just going to say um, two TV shows where the song ends up in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys are aware of these. No. So Scrubs. Okay. Good so show. The janitor. Yep. He has his other janitors and there's this whole thing where they're kind of air guitaring, air drumming through the scene and, and they're, they're doing the song. It's, it's hilarious. Cause if you look at the guys playing air guitar and stuff, I mean, they're like dead on. It oh. really <laughs> looks like they're playing, you know, and these are all the janitor guys, you know, so they're kind of in their, you know, little jumpsuit kind of thing yep. doing their thing. And then, um, same guy, the janitor who went on to be in the middle that show. Okay. There's an episode where he pulls up to a stop sign in his car and the song is playing. They had to have 
made this association with it. Oh, with Scrubs. With the yeah. song, yeah. yeah. And he's in there, and he's, he's singing along with it, just belting it out on the radio, his windows down, you know. And he's, you know, trying to hit the highs. It sounds awful. <laughs> Was this on the middle? Yes, this is yeah, on the middle. Yeah, I remember that. Was it the dad? Yeah. Yeah. So, he, so then another car pulls up next to him, and it's his family in the car. And they look over at him, and they see him, and he sees them, and then he just bolts out of <laughs> Yep. And then, and then they get home. They're like, Dad, you know, we saw you at the things. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's denying everything. Wasn't me. He just denied it flat out. That's awesome. So I thought that was funny that they did that twice. I remember yeah. one good movie time. it appeared in. Um, the movie, uh, She's Having a Baby. Oh, oh wow. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, that's and I, it was the, yeah. it, been a while. The early scene where he first meets, I remember who, don't remember who the actress was, but he meets his wife mm-hmm. and they're at a party in high school looking awkward and kind of making eyes at each other, but, and more than a feeling was playing. Okay. Tom Schultz too. I mean, I'll say this, that you, you mentioned it encapsulates the Boston sound and Tom Schultz guitar. I mean, every great band has a guitarist that has a signature sound. Yep. Yeah. And he definitely has it. And he recreated it with the yep. Rockman amp. Yeah. Just like Brian May created his sound with his same guitar he's played for 50 years. Yep. Instantly recognize it. Oh, that's Boston. But, yep. but also, I think this, this, this goes on down, down the line to some other guitarists, though. I think somebody was talking, maybe it was Jerry Cantrell playing on Eddie Van Halen's stack when they were open up for him. And he thought, oh, I'll maybe sound like Eddie Van Halen. It didn't sound like Eddie Van Halen, but Eddie can play on someone else's stuff, and it sounded Sounds like like Eddie. Eddie It's very much the person. Yep. They have their own signature sound, but there's also so much of that is just them and how they play. Yep. That's interesting. There's got to be something though to the the rig setup, though, doesn't it? There's that's. I would say that's that's a lot of it, but there's also so much of it just becomes how the person playing and how they play. Maybe Jerry Cantrell just sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, he's not going he anyway. to hear this anyway. You can listen, but he doesn't suck. You can listen awesome to any uh, great cover band who's even maybe just doing all of a band, and that guitarist can sound a lot like the guitarist, but it's never quite there. Yep, yep, agree. There's like that, there's a Boston cover band that kind of plays the, the music from Boston. They have some guy that they were yeah. touring with for That's, the light singer, but even their guitarists, they, I mean, they sound like pretty good, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not Tom playing. Right. It's yeah. just, there's yeah. just something about the smoothness and the articulation he has yep. on the fretboard. It's just. Be a fun episode to do. Yeah. Who, who are the signature guitar sound players it's it there's a number a long of them, list yeah you think so <laughs> i think there is yeah i would we could probably come up with a dozen who if yeah like, oh yeah i'm dozen sounds about yeah. right but i don't think there'd be 50 of them yeah oh probably not yeah anyway yeah, for another for another game. episode yep yeah we want to keep going down the tracks yeah, here let's go down the track peace here. of mind is the number two track on side one and that one i believe was the the third single released from the album. They released three singles, so this would have been the third single released. Every, what was, every what was the second one? The second one was a long time. Did they not, not with foreplay? Not with foreplay. I think foreplay was a B side to P 
peace of mind, I believe. That's interesting because it's only two minutes long. Right. Yep. But here's the thing. You got an, an album with six songs or eight songs on it. You release three singles. Boom. Yeah. You've got almost a whole album out there. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, as long as they were. Cheap, too long cheap as songs. way to yeah. buy the album. So, yeah. so they probably didn't want to put too much stuff out there. That's true. Yeah. That, now that's interesting because for me, I can sing the words to every one of these songs. Mm -hmm. And I think every one of these songs is great. And it, it stands the test of time. So why did they not do more single releases? Probably because they're selling gazillions <laughs> of albums. Yeah. They didn't need to. I mean, the, the radio stations were playing everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were, it didn't matter if the record couple was pushing the single. They were already playing the stuff. Yeah. Other songs from the album. Other songs okay. from the album. I was just going to say, kind of to Brian's point, if you know, you're getting a single, you have a B-side already so that's yep. two songs oh, that they release as two yeah. songs yeah even if you know you count four play as another one so that's nine songs right if they release three singles that's six songs yeah. everybody has already yeah so right that's two-thirds of the album right so yeah you spend three dollars and you get almost the whole album yeah, yeah. or you buy the whole album for more so. yeah how many singles oh, are man. on fleetwood mac rumors oh i don't know that that's one that there, there must have been five. Maybe, but was it the same situation as Boston? Who knows? Maybe it was so big they weren't even pushing stuff. Yeah. There are some albums I think they, I, I'm thinking not to get on a tangent about those, but like. Uh, Def Leppard. I was thinking Octung Baby and how many singles they released off of that one. Yeah. That's at least six because I have the CD singles from them. Yeah. There's a lot of them. So that's a different kind of single though, right? A maxi single. No, they, compared, they were to, compared to the 45s. That no, but I mean, there was always a B-side or, or extra yeah. content on oh, those, they too. Had, they yeah. had tons there, of yeah. yeah, Theirs was non-album like stuff. Non-album stuff. Yeah, yeah. true. Right. Yeah, so I mean, it, I guess it's something similar because it wasn't just another yeah. B-side, another song on the same album. Yeah. It was like, you know, some deep cut or a cover tune or something like that. Yeah, and they had zero deep cuts or <laughs> covers. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I think... Yeah, I think <laughs> Yeah. I think Def Leppard uh, with Hysteria, I think they released seven singles for that. Wow. Out of probably nine or ten songs. Yeah. And I think they got to the point where they're like, let's just throw this out there. <laughs> I mean, it didn't, even, it didn't even matter. They could throw anything out there, and it was huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When that album was, yeah. yeah. Yep. Anything more about Peace of Mind before we move on to Foreplay a Long Time? Nope. That's So you're saying Foreplay was actually a B-side right off of one of the singles I, i'm yeah. just wondering this bleeds into long time yeah for right. this version they must have yeah they, or for the single pre, version yeah they would have a, a an edit there okay where it wouldn't i'd like to hear that sometime and yeah. see how that sounds because this is my favorite song just because it's the hardest i think i'm yeah. more of a hard rock guy and this like was one of the ones that i would request on the radio every once in a while back in i was in college on our local radio station, like, I don't know, about 92, I called in and requested this. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get it in. Because <laughs> it's so long. Yeah. With both of those, it's like right. almost eight oh. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And so I was waiting and waiting and waiting. Hour later, nothing. I'm like, come on, man, I want to hear this. This is before <laughs> yeah. you could just dial it up on Spotify or right. look yeah. it up on YouTube. Like an hour later, I called in. He's like, yeah, I've been trying to squeeze it in. And I'm like, 
what's the, like, I don't understand. I mean, can't you just call in and request a song? You just work it in. I didn't understand the playlists and all right, that stuff yeah. they have to deal with. And it was a Saturday. So I'm sure somebody probably didn't really know what they were doing for, you know, reworking songs and to get all the ads in and whatever. Right. So, yep. I wonder if they were actually spinning vinyl at that point. Or I don't, I don't think so. Because now it would have been totally, they record the, the, no, yeah, it's just a pre a time. Yeah, oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, just a pre-recorded playlist or a preset playlist. Back for in digital the stuff. late seventies, I I can vividly remember when Sticks Cornerstone came out. KQ played most of the album one night. Mm-hmm. I remember calling the DJ and talking to him about it, and and uh, you know that must have been a time when they had a little more they flexibility. Had some freedom, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool stuff. There, so. so <laughs> I was going to say, I've got uh, more than a feeling uh, the B-side was smoking, oh. which was a huge hit. And oh, Okay, so that was the first single. That was the first one, yep. And then uh, Peace of Mind. Was the, the third single you said, right? Yeah. Okay. So Long Time, uh, Let Me Take You Home Tonight was the B-side. Oh, yeah. And then, then the third one, which was Peace of Mind, had foreplay as the Oh, okay. So Peace of Mind was the third. Okay. So long time was the second single. Then. It was the second single. Okay. And let me take truly you my favorite song too on the album. I mean the which one? Foreplay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Foreplay. Same here. Just listening to that, was, I I can remember laying on my bed, putting my big headphones on, probably bigger than these, because <laughs> they had all that big cushioning on them. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just with my eyes closed, just listening to that. That was a yes. Just a cacophony of cool sound and whooshing going on you know and then it would kind of slow down and then yep. you have the little organ little and then the little yeah kind of stuff organ and stuff and then the bass and then and then it just kick right back in and punch you in the face again yeah. oh it's just awesome so has anybody yes. ever recorded this with an orchestra because i'd listen to it and say this this is almost classical yeah. i don't know which which yeah. period of classical you could throw it under but yeah it, it definitely has yeah. that kind of vibe that you could do it with strings and mm-hmm. well that's the boston sound right that's what he's based in it all the classical music yeah he was Melodies trained in classical yeah, yeah right yep. yeah yep but i mean yeah I, very much so it's it just screaming for someone to do this like you know metallica's snm the Whoa. symphony of metallica yep i'll spell it out for yeah, you so you know you. what i'm talking about <laughs> but <laughs> it, like some you. symphony version of that right mm-hmm. i don't know if anybody's done that though yeah, I don't know either, but I... I I'm for some deep research. It would be some <laughs> I just, research. Uh, this is back to Def Leppard. They just released um, an orchestra version of Animal. Whoa. But the cool thing, I think, is they took the original vocals, and then they've... You know, oh. And then, then they pulled out the guitars and pulled all that out, and then had the orchestration. And they would throw in little bits of stuff, but it was the actual recording, which I thought was cool. It wasn't like cool. they re-recorded their song with an yeah. orchestra. Okay, somebody remixed, you know, the original stuff with an orchestra. I thought that was pretty cool. That's what this is begging for. Yeah, somebody hasn't done it before. Yeah, man, if you're listening, please make this happen. Well, you probably got to talk to Tom. I could see some probably. Yeah, that's right. Get through Tom. Yep, you got it. I could see some crazy long-haired conductor just waving oh, his yeah. batons all over, and yeah, yeah, it's it's very. Timeless stands stands up well. Oh yeah, fifty years later or whatever it is. Yep, all of this stuff is. But yeah, that's that's my favorite song on the album as well. I'm not sure about long time, but foreplay, for yeah, sure. 
Yeah, foreplay, definitely. Yeah, that's it. it this is the the the, uh, the song that comes on that I immediately know like who it is. Yeah, you know the rest of them are, are very you know similar in sound, but this well, one the, has that little something different extra. Mm-hmm. The whole album just flows. I yes. mean, it's just it's just seamless. Yeah. It just all the songs kind of tie in and. So you're saying that Tom guy kind of knew what he was doing. He knew it well. If he had that long to do it, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. I, think, I wonder how long, how long he struggled over the order of songs. Yeah. If he knew that even going in. Because, I mean, these are all written at separate times. Right. And with records, you really had to, or song order was a huge deal. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. people weren't able to mix stuff up unless they re-record everything onto a tape the way they wanted to do it. But if you're listening to it and you're starting on the B side, you don't want to start with a lame song that's right. slow and everything. <laughs> yeah. You want the first song and the second side to kick like everything else does. Yeah. Plus you have a limited amount of time on each side. Right. So the way you order them and what can actually right. fit it yep. becomes, yeah. becomes part of the equation as yep. well. So we've been talking about long time for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Moving on to rock and roll band. Side two. Rock and roll band. The three songs on side one. That's how long those songs were. I got two funny things about this song. Rock and roll band? Yes. So first of all was misheard lyrics. (laughs) Okay. When I was a kid. I thought it was rockin' on land. Okay. I can hear that. And I and it made sense to me too because I'm looking at the cover. It's all the space stuff, blah blah blah. And I'm picturing it coming down and landing. And now they're rocking on land. Everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting there for the spaceship to come down and perform <laughs> yeah. this concert. So a concept album, huh? Yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah. So I was so I'm for forward the longest thinking. time. It was rocking on land. Everybody's waiting. So. That's pretty interesting you should mention that and then (laughs) then i'll let you get to the second yeah but as i listened to this album a few times in the last couple days i realized that although brad is an excellent probably top five all-time vocalist maybe top three i have a hard time picking out what he's saying and i have to pick up the lyric sheets and in a majority of these there you go i did rocking on land yeah so i can totally see how you did that (laughs) yes I, I did that. I listened to the album and one one of the times through I was looking at the lyrics on Spotify as I was listening to mm-hmm. them. Oh. Oh, that's what he said. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, to be fair, a lot of rock and roll songs oh, they bury the totally. vocal so much. Yeah. So that it's kind of hard to understand them yep. sometimes. You know. They shouldn't. And I thought Brad that was no, actually one of the complaints about this that they would that Tom Schultz was fretting over um when they they mastered it or something in LA when he finally went out there to do that. He was like battling over that, that they, they were worried because he wouldn't hear the vocal as much because mm. he wanted big guitars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's his gigs. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's your other point, Bray? So the song itself, and I, I was thinking about this and I, I thought about this for years is you always hear about, they're not really being a Boston band before the album was released. So it wasn't like these guys were out, you know, hitting the bars for two, three years, playing these songs until they made it big. So the whole song, which is about discovering a band and a band getting signed, isn't even about Boston. It's not even about their band. And I always thought 
oh, this is this is their song. This is yeah. how they were discovered and everything. And it's not. No, you're right. It's because it, it, they it, didn't it, exist. Yeah. It didn't exist. So so what I think I heard Tom say is that it was about his dream of being a rock star. I, something to I just effect. did some research on that today because I got to thinking about it. And from what it was said, the, the drummer that they had had been in a number of bands. And it was really his description of the road and putting it, paying his dues and all that. And that's, that's what inspired the lyrics. So it wasn't even like their experience. It wasn't Tom's or Brad's experience or whatever. So this Jim Mastea guy? Yeah. Must've been. Yeah. Cause it does talk about, uh, I want to say it's, what's, what's the town in, in the song where they're talking about playing Hyannis. Yeah. It's in the yeah. streets of Hyannis. Yeah. We're getting pretty good at the game. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it had to have been somewhere in the New England area. And yep. you're right. You hear it the first time. You think, oh, yeah, that must have been how it went down. You the know, first the, time, the first hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just always assumed. Yeah. Until, yeah. until at some point where you start reading about Tom Schultz and all his stuff. Yeah. And then you're thinking, like, wait a minute. This, there wasn't a band out. Let's take a step back. Doing this there wasn't that, a guy so. with a big cigar and a Cadillac Exactly. Car. He didn't it's, come out and say, man, this band's out of sight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? It sounds like this should be like on an album, like their fifth album. Like, oh, we have all this experience. And right. Yeah. yeah. Um, to tie into the Mesdea things, I had a note on here that says the album version still features Mesdea's drums from the demo tape, mm-hmm. which shows you how good the demo tape was when yeah. they recorded it. But to tie into that, that's yeah. cool. They didn't even re-record his drums. Wow. So I must have had a pretty sweet demo for all these songs. If so, they're like, you know, this is good enough. Mm-hmm. So did you find out why he wasn't in the touring band? I did not. Be interesting to I, know. Yeah. I, the only thing I think I read was um, the record company, for some reason, didn't want him. Sib Haitian's hair was, or how is that how you pronounce it? Haitian? Maybe. Hair was much better. Yeah. Have you seen his? No. So maybe that's what Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got the big, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think he looked the part. Afro? I think it was, it was an Afro, yeah. Yeah. I think it was a record company decision that that they got a different drummer. Hmm. Record company decision. And they weren't, I mean, they weren't well, happy with the fact that he didn't have a band. So that, right. was, that was hard. They didn't it's think like, they could reproduce the sound right. live. Yeah. There was a lot of doubt about whether or not. Yeah. You got you and you got a singer. Yeah. Where's the rest of the guys? Yeah. How are you going to do this live? And that's now, where right? Tom Schulz was, was, uh, you know, trying to make his big statement that these guys, you know, this is my record. This is my stuff. These guys, other than Delp singing, yep. you know, yeah. this is my thing. These guys weren't in the band, you know, they were the touring band, but what a fine Brad Delp was. Oh, oh yeah. holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, to hear him hit those, especially in more than a feeling. Mm hmm. So smooth, effortless. It's yeah. just, yeah. man. I can't. Just, I can't think of any. Maybe Freddie Mercury. Yeah, but he's. It's a different kind of. Yeah. Sound. Yeah, Plus. it's it's not the smoothness of some of the '80s singers who can you know the hair bands that can hear they can hit those high notes. Mm-hmm. It's a different tone. Usually those yeah. are like a rocky, raspy, yeah, gravelly. Yeah, yeah. and this is just a smooth, totally. yeah. silky. High and then higher. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right. Ready yeah. to move on? Well, I will say rock and roll band. I believe they've opened pretty much every concert they've ever done with that song. Every time I've seen them and makes sense. Yeah. 
Smokin', number two on side two. Written in 73, by the way. I had a note on that one because that was a pretty early song. Not as early as what you said, 69 for one of them. Yeah, foreplay. I think that was probably where I learned what token meant. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it wasn't while you were token. Yeah, I I didn't gain any intellectual (laughs) knowledge out of listening to that song. It's just a good straight-up rock. Oh, yeah. You know, that... I can't think of anything negative, but I can't think of anything, you know, if I'm saying listing my favorite, it wouldn't be, you know, in the top three, four. But again, I love every song. It's just, again, just a good straight up. There, when they played in Mankato in 95, I remember an interview on the radio where he was talking about them as an encore doing smoking. And so the concert's done. They're gone. They come back out for an encore. They do a couple songs. They don't do smoking. And I'm like, he was just on the radio today saying that <laughs> what? that they do smoking. So people are leaving. They think the encore is done. They came back out for another encore and did smoking. And from where I was sitting, uh, people had cleared out. So we were able to walk way down there by the stage and, and watch the, the last song there. I looked that up on uh, their their playlist the, the two times they played here. Yeah. And I saw that, that they had a second encore, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. You wonder how many people leave after yeah. the first one. I, I, people were streaming out. Cause you know, that, so that was their first show since 88? Probably, yeah. And you could, I was there as well, you could genuinely see how excited, especially Tom Scholes was. Oh, yeah. To yep. have, and it was packed. There was about 7,500 people. Yep. I've never seen so many people Sold in that out. arena. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Our little local arena. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was loud. The crowd was into it. Oh, man. It was one of the better shows yeah. I've ever seen. And I've seen them five times. I don't think I've seen any other band more than Boston. Maybe Cheap Trick, but... I had to laugh when, when uh, he came out on the stage, and I didn't know it was Tom Schultz. He's just there in some like little jump shoot, look like a roadie. Yeah. And he's got a hat on, his head's down, he's out there fiddling with guitars, and then all of a sudden starts playing. And you're thinking, <laughs> oh, this is the band. Oh, that's Tom. Oh, okay. Thought the guy was just warming up his guitar, tuning it or something. And oh, it's Tom. <laughs> there's actually, that's interesting. I think every time I've seen them, there's never been any big, you know, hype moment before no, the show not at all no screens you know even yep. when i saw them five years ago it's just they they come out and they start jamming right there's no like background track that starts playing and they look no. in the no. lights it's just no. like nope here they, here they are yep not like judas priest no, no. <laughs> and then i remember him doing a big organ solo and i don't know yes. if he still does this now but this huge organ and he's out yeah. there playing yeah. i even think they put a cape on him he's yes i remember yeah. that yeah 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 yeah, because he did that, and then they went into foreplay a long time, I think, because he has the organ out there. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah there's, I, there's I remember pipes the cape. and everything. Yeah. I don't know if they're operable pipes. They might be. I don't know. I don't know how you keep it. It just seemed like a touring thing yeah. that wouldn't have, that yeah. I don't think they would have working pipes. It was a prop. I mean, it looked yeah. cool. Yeah. Smoke coming out of it. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was, yeah. That was good. Smoking. And that's probably something he does every time. I don't know. He, yeah, he does. Yeah. And the cape, too. Yeah. Yeah. A little James Brown thing or Phantom what? of the Opera. That's what it is. 
Yeah, you're probably right. Exactly, Dave. Yep. Yeah. Not that I've seen that, but I just, I remember the imagery. Yep. Ready to move on to Hitch a Ride? I had a note on this one that I, I went back and listened to it again to find it. But he created a special effect on the organ solo where it bends a note. And to create, he didn't have like, you know, a bender on right. a keyboard back then. So he, had, he put his finger on the reel to slow the reel down to bend the note. Wow. <laughs> like, does it get any more analog than that? Yeah. <laughs> Just wondering like, how many times did Tom Schultz have to do that before he got it to where he liked it? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was just so cool, though. 376 <laughs> yeah, and right. six years. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, anytime you wanted to do some sort of effect, you were manually doing something. Yeah. yeah. You're working with some sort of machinery that you're, <laughs> you got to physically work with. Yeah. And that goes to, you know, again, back to his engineering and his mm -hmm. probably just love for tinkering and all things yeah. mechanical that he just figured that stuff out. And to have that kind of musical brain and then putting all the engineering stuff, I kind of equate it to a little bit of Eddie Van Halen tinkering with all the mm -hmm. pickups and Frankensteining guitars and amps and all that stuff. You know, you read the books about him tinkering with amps and yep. gain and all that stuff. I mean, it was, it's just, it takes a certain kind of individual to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you know, not blow yourself up, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like the jump keyboard sound. That sound wasn't out there. That was the sound that he created. Mm -hmm. He made that sound. Eddie and then, Van Halen we're talking about. Yes. And then when, you know, the keyboards started coming out of the Casio keyboards the yeah. next year or whatever, they all had that jump sound. Someone made a, found yeah. a way to create it that. Probably, you know, took him forever to figure out how he wanted the sound. And yeah. now somebody just goes, bink, and plays it. And there it is. Easier on a keyboard than a guitar. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, with Hitch or Ride, these, these next three are just, they're all great. Again, great songs, but I kind of lump them all together. Yep, I same. agree. I had the same thing. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I don't have much to say about Hitch or Ride, but it, it's, it's something about you. The, the intro with the twin leads, I mean, it really mm -hmm. rocks. It's, it's yeah. a cool beginning to a song. And again, Brad soaring vocals on all of these just, make it something special yeah i think i i bought this album i bought the record it was used um i would say probably in the mid 80s but you know i remember just picking up and looking at it and like i know every song in this album yeah i hear every <laughs> one of these on the radio it was just a greatest hits in itself yep Totally. So even, you know, these three songs at the end, maybe a little lesser known, they were still getting radio play. Yep. At least where I was, they were. Yeah. No, yeah. Same here. KQ yeah. played, played this all the time. And, you know, it's, they're still at least, I'm just looking at the list, five of these songs you'll still hear in rotation on classic yeah. rock radio. Yep. On a weekly basis. Yep. If not daily, daily. for a few of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. The uh, my I, my least favorite song I think is the last one. Let me take you home tonight. But it was also written by Brad Delp, so I don't know what that says about about that. Um, it's I mean it's still a decent song, but like mm -hmm. you like you said, those last three just kind of all mm -hmm. they're about the same quality in yep. my in my brain. And and that kind of makes sense that they were at the end of the album. But I wonder if they knew that. Like, okay, we're going to just strongest 
mixed to the weakest? I mean, well, I mean, you know, you got to open an album with big. Yeah. It's got your first few have to really flow well. Yeah. And then you can taper down a little bit, flip a record over. It's got to start at the top again, and then it's going to yeah. flow down. Mm-hmm. There was no slowing down on side A. No, no. Nothing. No, what I was wondering, I was going to say, I wonder how much the record company had a say in, you know, order. Order, yeah. If they, you know, well, these are stronger songs, so yeah. we need to do those. Because I know, like, you know, reading some other bands, uh, uh, process of determining what goes where it's usually like some of their management yeah, listening to the stuff and going, this is a much stronger song. We should go with this one or for a single or right. for starting off the album, you know, that's a good yep. question. I don't know the I answer to that. that and these days it probably doesn't really matter. I don't think much thought has gone into that because I don't know that people, people obviously aren't really buying music. So you're just picking out the songs you like on Spotify or whatever music service you have. You're not listening to albums. What a shame. It is because I'm an album guy. I, I always listen to albums and I typically will listen to it all the way through. And I almost feel guilty if I don't listen to the whole album. Agree. I just like, if I, and that's what's great about three or four and then go on to another album. It's like, no, I got to listen to the whole album. Yep. That's just my mindset. That's a great mindset. You're honoring the band. Yeah, because, and I think back then it was more about the whole album. Now it's just about, I mean, of course, they always wanted a single. They always wanted a hit single. And that was what was going to sell the records. So yeah. that makes sense. And that, in that sense, is still the same today. But you don't need all the other stuff because people are probably not going to listen to it. They're not going to be forced to listen to it like when you had a record and you dropped it on there unless you physically got up to move the record to a song you want, you kind of listen to it straight through. Yeah, that's that's the biggest difference between back in the vinyl days, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, yeah. you have an opportunity to just skip around or shuffle. Or, <laughs> or I remember too, you got very familiar with the end of the song, of the song that you were trying to get to. Yes. So I'm going to this song, I got to drop the needle, I'm off a little mm-hmm. bit, so I always hear the end <laughs> of this right. song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, just trying to find that sweet spot. You know, interesting fact, Lance fact. I think I've owned five copies of this album. Wow, what? Yeah, so the original one, and over the course of time, I didn't own those vinyl. I know you kept all your vinyls, but I got... Not all of it. I got rid of a ton of it. I still have a lot, but... Yeah, I see, I got rid of everything because we had CDs. They were so much better, right? Yep. And then I bought it on... on, uh, CD, yep. twice, because I bought the remastered. I think I'm going to six here. <laughs> wow. That's three. This is epic, dude. That's three. Then I bought a used copy when I started collecting again. Used vinyl. Used vinyl, and it was kind of a shoddy copy. Then I bought a brand new, new remastered pressing, which I still have. Okay. And then I found another clean, like, 1977 copy. So, yeah, six. Mm. Wow. And that's, I don't do that with any other albums. I just love this album that much. Yep. Uh, I, one more stat I was going to throw at you because you said this was the best selling album. It sold over 17 million copies mm-hmm. in the US, but only 100,000 in the UK, which I thought was an interesting fact. That's really interesting. And a million in Canada. So which 17 is more. Than- the la- that many Canada? people live in Canada? <laughs> Canada is, is really weird on their 
because you know we have a platinum album is a million copies yes a platinum album in canada is like thirty thousand or something yeah it's some really? it's a different it's yeah. like yeah they have like a diamond i think it's diamond in canada with yeah. one million so when you look at these there's just like you said maybe there's not that many people that live up there <laughs> or or they can't get to the record store or it just didn't sound enough like gordon lightfoot to, i guess so yeah I don't or Anne Murray. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on where you look now too, this is the second best selling debut album after Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction mm-hmm. with eighteen million. There's some other metrics on, you know, where this ranks, but I think for at the time there's so it's so hard to determine like where albums how albums sell nowadays with digital tracks and all that. So it's just about impossible. But it's, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, a joke. But I mean, you're in rare error here. Yeah. For <laughs> Yeah. the amount they sold for a debut album. I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be very intimidating, by the way, after selling that many, well, obviously not that many copies right away, but I mean, to jump up to selling so many copies for your debut album going, right. wow, okay, how do you follow that up? I think any <laughs> realistic musician is going to go, this will never happen again. Yeah. So yeah. You, go, you go into the studio and say, I'm going to do the best I can. I know it's never going to be this. And I don't know. I think their second album sold like 7 million, which is nothing to sneeze at. No. But when you compare it to that, you're like, whoa, that was a failure. But yeah. it, there's no way you can do that twice. Or no. very rare. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we wrap that album talk up? No. I think that's no. all I got. No. All right. Uh, so it's, I think it's time to give our personal rating this album from 0 to 10. 10 being leave it on repeat because I could listen to this all day. Would you drop the needle on this again, Lance? I think you guys know. Where I think I'm we going. know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's How does this rate zero to 10 for you though? Solid 10. I, I, like I said, it's in, in my rotation every week, probably. Wow. Every week? I, smoking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You are smoking. <laughs> smoking. I, it's just, it brings again, evokes yeah. a lot of memories and yeah. I, seen them five times there's there's just a lot of my past that's wrapped up in this this yep. music every song is great that signature guitar sound like i said you put a, the needle down and you know it's tom Scholz yeah because that rock man that he developed mm-hmm. how about you so, brian um i would give it a eight i'd give it eight spins eight spins <laughs> i am actually dead on with you I think, like Lance, I can't do that. I can't listen to it that much because it was so overplayed, I think. Like even like you say, even today, you hear it on the radio all the time. Yeah. And so for that reason, I do not listen to it that often. In fact, I probably hadn't listened to it in years, you know, before doing this podcast and it was really fun to listen to, no doubt. I mean, it's a great record, but I just don't listen to it that often. Same. Yeah, I mean, every song is, is very catchy. It's got a hook, no yep. doubt. Um, it's a little it's, it's a little too much on the sweet side for me. You know, I like my, mm-hmm. my rock a little, a little, a little dirtier, a little, a little edgier. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't. So let me take you home tonight and <laughs> do what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Full, <laughs> but full I, disclosure, though, I'm... What five years older than you? You guys? are so yeah. 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 So that, 
But I mean, this has a different connection for you than it does for us too. Mm -hmm. I've never owned the album. You know, I've heard the song and kind of getting back to what Brian was saying. Want to buy one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You you have an extra? Yeah. How about a CD version? I'll take your remaster. Remaster? Okay. I have it on Spotify. Um, That, you know, our local radio station overplayed a lot of songs and some of the Boston songs were some of them. So you're kind of like, okay, I don't really want to hear this right now because I've heard it a hundred times already. They had a small rotation of songs that seemed like they played all the time. So yep. anytime you'd pop it on, you know, there's a number of bands we won't get into right now, but they did that with, and it kind of ruined some yeah. music for us for at least a while. And, I, and, oh, there, totally. and there are L, uh, bands from that era that I feel yeah. that way about. Foreigners, one of them. Yep. Great band, but, and I own all the albums, but I don't listen to it that much. Yeah. And I bet that'd be different. I know Brian likes Foreigner. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's one of them too. Um, and I'm, I'm right with you with the eight, you know, I mean, and then that's solid, I think. Oh yeah. Still could listen to the thing. And it it was fun listening to this front to back several times for the podcast Mm -hmm. and just doing some research on it and learning a little more about the recording process. You know, that story about Tom Schultz basically doing it on his own in Massachusetts without anybody knowing, you know, hardly, hardly anybody knowing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just super cool spy stuff almost. Yeah. Okay. Time to break into uh, Remember When. This is a segment where I ask Brian and Lance their thoughts about something we grew up with but may no, no longer be around today. Today's item for discussion, guys, kind of right in line with what we're talking about here, mixtapes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thoughts on mixtapes. Did them all the time. I did them all the time. Do you I, do them now? Um, a playlist occasionally yeah i think but mixtapes you know if i was going on a trip we were going camping we we're whatever we were doing i'm always putting together a, a mixtape usually kind of the current music at the time and i used to buy a lot of 45s so i uh would make a lot of mixtapes with that stuff stuff where i wouldn't be that into the band but i liked a few of their songs so those are my mixtapes and i and i even a couple years ago i because i still have all my mixtapes i probably have 30 of them do they still play they would still play yeah Yeah. and uh so i took those and i made a playlist on oh from your mixtape from my mixtape so i can still go back and listen to my my tape and i even had some where i know i had some records that had a skip in it or whatever and i have that on my mixtape and so if I hear that song on the radio, in my mind, I'm waiting for that skip. And when that's not there, I'm like, oh, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's the way it really is. <laughs> that's right. You got to remember. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, and not only that, but when you had records, where are you going to listen to records? Yeah. You're going to listen to them at home. So it was a great way to, uh, with your Walkman or once you got a car, you could listen to them elsewhere. Portable. Mixtape story? Mostly for girlfriends. Oh, that's, that's not bad either, actually. Yeah. So it was cheesy, sappy stuff. <laughs> Lionel Richie. <laughs> um, did a few, but here's what I did. I recorded every album on you know on your cassette yeah on cassette. maxell cassettes yes. I had a really sweet tape player yep 
because growing up, I worked at a stereo store, so I bought really high-end gear, and I'm still into the high-end gear. And uh, that way, I could take the tapes with me, put it in the boombox. Yep. And at the same time, the albums didn't get all wore out. Or, sure. So that that's what I did with tapes, and I had you know boxes and boxes of them. I have a few left somewhere. Yeah. And I did the same thing with CDs. I didn't have a CD player in my car, so I had to record my CDs so I could listen to a tape in the car. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of dubs yep. that I recorded. Same, yeah. Yeah. I did a bunch of mixtapes as well, and it was usually like, well, I can't listen to this here, so I'll record these. But also, um, I don't know if you really call them mixtapes, but it was a conglomeration of songs I heard on the radio that I would time. Oh, like yeah. there were some radio stations in the eighties on like certain nights that would play like, like breakdance music. And okay. you couldn't just, I just, I, I didn't know what it was like who to, who to ask for at the record store. So I would record snippets like, Oh, this song and this song and this song. And so I rem- I know exactly. And then a few songs from the radio. So it was like this weird hodgepodge of stuff that you would go back and listen to, but you know, you guys know this, when you listen to a mixtape, you know what song is coming up oh, right yeah. after the one before it and yep. right after that one and right after that one yep. and how it like bleeds in a little bit to the, maybe the DJ talking a little bit or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you recorded off of the radio? Some of oh, them. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did too. Yep. yep. That's another subject for later. I, I did yeah. that with uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle. I off the radio. I that song. I was like, oh man, I got to wait for it. And I waited on the radio that came on and that was. My and hope the DJ didn't talk over it. I faded it in. Oh. I waited till he did it and I could fade in wow. my recording. So I had no You DJ. had a fancy recording device. Although if I were to listen to it now, I probably would have loved to have heard the DJ, but that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because you knew your DJs yep. and them and all their talk and all that. So yeah. Kind of, so I do have one tape of just stuff I recorded off and this is off of AM. Um, Whoa. That played top 40 stuff. And uh, yeah, I got the DJ, Dr. Donald D. Rose. And uh, he was awesome. Wow. So I get little snippets of him talking over the beginning or the end. And at the time, I'm like, shut up. Now I listen to <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's a few websites that have, at least in the Twin Cities, DJs from 70s, 80s. Yeah. It's fun to listen to and listen to the commercials and yeah, that too. jingles that you remember as a kid. I was going to say, I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but this would have been in 89 when you came out to California yeah. to our house yeah. and we went to the record store and you made, yes. they had in the store where a you kiosk, could, a kiosk where you picked songs you wanted and that made a cassette for you. Yeah. What'd you pay for it? Well, you, it's it like pay by the by song. The song. Yeah. So and I only wanted a, I only got like three or four songs and then like I had to like a song or something. fill up the rest with like, and I had 30 seconds and I got like a sound effect. Yes. Sound effects too. I have a yes. pop bottle sound effect on there. Yes. I and I still remember. have that mixtape. I vaguely yeah. remember this as well. At yeah. A place called Great Do you American remember music. what songs you got? I'd have to go look. Yeah. I should have, I should have thought about that. That was, I just, that just boom, popped in my mind. Yeah. Do you remember was, when listening crazy. stations came out yeah. too in record stores? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this is yeah. awesome. I can listen to the album. If yep. it sucks, I don't have mm-hmm. to buy it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Also, really, one wrap up thing before we get move on and uh, get us out of here because we're 
well over our designated time. <laughs> well. um, Mixtapes, um, Brian used to send me and we, back and forth actually over yeah. um, break in between college breaks or something. We'd send each other like a little mixtape and then record a little, you know, hey, what's going on during this time? And then some more songs. But I'm just rem- remembering too, how much time and effort you would spend on carefully oh selecting what songs yeah. you wanted on the mixtape. And now you're just like, click, 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 playlist done. Yeah. And hoping that if you're recording off the radio, the song would come on. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and not and be it, waiting for it all night yeah. after you requested it. Or end it just in time before the, the DJ The other song. problem was getting your levels yes. you know, the same. Yeah. Because yeah. you could play a record. One is really loud and you play another one and it's quieter. And so you're sitting there watching your little lights on there, trying to get it at the right level. So everything flows and it was a lot of work. Yeah. Any final comments before we wrap this show up, gentlemen? Boston rocks. Boston rocks. Rock on. All right, Lance. Thanks, host. Take us out, man. Hey, thanks for listening. And make sure to check out our next episode when we'll be talking about Brian's first album, Freeze Frame by yes. Jay Giles Band. And then after that, we'll be covering Dave's first album, but we're not going to tell you what that is right now. Spoiler. You don't want to miss these really exciting episodes. Yes. (laughs) They're going to be awesome. Yeah, so share your thoughts with us uh, on the When Records Ruled podcast by leaving us some nice reviews. um, And then follow us on Instagram and Facebook at When Records Ruled. Sweet. We'll catch you next time.